You know, in a moment, all control was lost. It was years ago, I was riding horse at my grandpa's farm, and as a city kid, I was pretty confident in my horse riding abilities. After all, I had been to horse camp. I had a certificate, I had a ribbon. But on this day, as we're heading down the trail, the horse decides he's no longer wants to continue on this journey. There's moments of frustration and anger that I had. Out of frustration, I grabbed the reins and I pulled them back hard on the horse. Now again, for all of my equestrian friends, you know that when you pull the reins back on a horse, what does he do? That's right, he backs up. I'm not sure what really happened in the next moments. There's still a little bit of blur to me, but as the horse backed up, he hits the electric fence. Bolts up, spins, gives a kick. Next thing I know, I'm laying face down in the dirt and the dust. My ego deeply bruised, my legs slightly bruised in that moment. But I learned a valuable life lesson, and that is this. We are never fully in control to the level that we think we are. In fact, self-sufficiency and control in and of itself is really just an illusion. And even now during the season of COVID-19, it's interesting. The strongest emotion that most people say they feel is this. It's a loss of control. We still have the emotions of fear and even potentially of doom, but it's that sense of loss of control that we're feeling and sensing, especially as the weeks go on. It's hard to believe it was just, what, three months ago, March 6th, that all of a sudden life was going great, and then what, we hit the electric fence. I mean, before March 6th, things were were great. The economy was rolling. Our stocks were good. You had graduation planned out. You had your wedding plans ready to go. Some of you had even been to the gym on a consistent basis. You were killing it in 2020. But then that moment happened. You hit the fence, and we lost control uh, of everything that came our way. And we're reminded again the illusion of self-sufficiency that we have. And here's an interesting thing. If we're not in control, then really the question becomes, who is in control? Now, because we're in church, most of you will know the Sunday school answer. Of course, God is in control. But it's interesting. Intellectually, we know that. But if we're honest, we're not living our lives that way. We're living our lives as if we're in control, as if we can just work harder and produce more. We've been talking about the nation of Israel as slaves. They just produce bricks day after day. And we get this feeling, listen, my sufficiency comes in my ability to do that, produce bricks every day. I I want God's blessing on my life, but I'm going to handle the day-to-day. I've got the reins, right? I'm in control, I've got this. Well, if we're not careful, we can quickly begin to equate our self-worth and our value in our ability to be in control of these things. And then what happens in moments like this when we're facing, when our world seems to be spiraling out of control, where do I find my worth? Where do I find my value? When things are going wrong, I I look to God if they're spiraling out of control. Actually, I don't because, listen, if something's wrong, I can fix it. I'll just work harder. I'll get at it. I'll make it happen. So I I trust God for heaven, right, again, but I deal with the day-to-day in and of myself. And then all of a sudden, this new normal hits into our lives that changes everything, right? Since March 6th, the new normal for you now is, for many of us, no job, family together 24-7, world pandemic, isolation, no sports to watch as we go. And in these moments, the question becomes, where is my worth and where do I find my value? Do I have worth if I can't make bricks, if I can't produce, if I can't have this accomplishment I'm doing? Do I have value if I'm not in control and protecting everybody from the things that are out there? 
But it's in these moments, it's, it's in these voids that we're gonna see that this is when God wants to show up. It's in these moments of feeling out of control that God wants to remind us that true sufficiency comes only in him, that he is the anchor that holds us. It's in these moments that he wants to remind us that you have more value and more worth than simply your ability to produce or to build with bricks, that he's enough, that he's the new normal. And this is a lesson that we're gonna see today and again over these next couple weeks that the nation of Israel has yet to learn and is yet to truly internalize. So let's pick up our story again this morning. The nation of Israel is being led out of Egypt by Moses. And we pick it up in Exodus chapter 12. So again, if you got your Bibles, you can turn there. Or if you got your devices, log on to lexcity.info. All the information, all the things connected with our church, you can find there. Sermon notes are there. But Exodus chapter 12, and we'll start at verse 37. That night, the people of Israel left Ramses and started to Sakath. There were about 600,000 men, plus all the women and children. A rabble of non-Israelites went with them, along with the great flocks and herds and livestock. And it's interesting when the Bible says there were 600,000 men, it refers to the men who were of military age. So when we think about the total number of people who left Egypt at this time, we add the men who are older, we add women and children, you add the non-Israelites, it's interesting, some Egyptians actually went with them. Most scholars would agree we're probably talking about 2.4 million people. 2.4 million people, just to give you some perspective, that, that's like leading the city of Houston out, out of Texas. This is the, the size of this processional that was going. Now, the trip from Egypt to the Promised Land is a relatively short trip, about 220 to 250 miles if you take a straight path. It could be accomplished at an easy pace, really, in a matter of just days. And as I was trying to, this week, as I was preparing, picture what this would look like. 2.4 million people. If you took 2.4 million people today and they had to practice social distancing as they marched in order one at a time, here's what's amazing. By the time the last person left Egypt, the very first person who left would already be experiencing the promised land. I mean, that's how long this line would be of 2.4 million people that are there. That's crazy to think about. But you know, if you're familiar with the story, that's not what happened. It wasn't simply an easy trip that went quickly. God had something greater to do. And the, and the roadmap that they took wasn't as easy as there. There were three main ways that they could have left Egypt and got to the promised land. And again, Exodus chapter 13, verse 17 says this, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs to the Philistine territory, even though that was the shorter route to the promised land. Let me just show you that on, on a map this morning. You're gonna see this. There were three main routes they could have gone from Egypt to the start of the promised land. They could have gone a northern route, they could have gone right through the center, and they could have gone southern route. The northern route was the way of the Philistines. It was the most logical way. It was a coastal road. Uh, this was a busy road full of lots of travel that would come back and forth. Trade lines were here. And so Egypt had numerous stations where they had multiple military officers and regiments that were set along this road. So why didn't God take the nation of Israel, just that northern route. Well, he knows the heart of two key characters that we look at our story. He knows the heart of Pharaoh, and he knows the heart of the nation of Israel. He knows for Pharaoh that at some point in the story, Pharaoh's ego is going to get the best of him, and he's all of a sudden going to want back the 2.4 million people and the free labor that came through the slavery of the nation of Israel. But he also knows the nation of Israel, that if they came into any kind of conflict or opposition, 
that their faith is young. Their faith has not been tested, and they will quickly turn and run back to Egypt. We see it again in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, the last part. Here's what God says on there. He says, God says, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. We continue on in our story in verse 18. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt with an army ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with them, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear to do this. He had said, God will certainly come to help you, and when he does, you must take your, my bones with you from this place. And so again, the route they go, if you go back to our map, you'll see it here. They take the southern route that we see here in red that it comes. Now, two things that really stuck out to me, some small details, but important details as you look at that passage. The first one is this, is that they left like an army for battle. Now, when we read this, it doesn't mean that the nation of Israel left ready for battle. They were in armor and had swords and all of those things. Rather, it implies that they left Egypt in an orderly fashion. Can you imagine if 2.4 million people just went chaotic and everybody went their own directions and scattered? That's not the heart of God and what he was modeling. So he brings them in a sense of order. And this idea of an ar preparing like an army in battle gives indication context. It really meant that they were in a rank of five people that they marched five abreast as they went through. Now again, let me just give you a, a sense of how large this group was. If you took the 600,000 men and they marched five abreast and they had three yards between each row of men, they would measure out 68 miles just to do that. That means just the 600,000 men would reach basically here from Lexington all the way to Louisville. I want you again to get the size of what's happening is staggering. The second little small detail was key is that this, they took the bones of Joseph. Remember our story began two weeks ago when Joseph found favor with Pharaoh and he relocates his entire family. 75 Hebrews come to be in Egypt. And now as Israel leaves, Joseph says, listen, as a promise of God's covenant with you, I want you to take my bones that there be no remnants left in Egypt when we live. So we start out our story and everybody is moving together in this orderly fashion. And what I love about them, everybody's dying to self. There's a greater cause here. Nobody wants issues of control. But after just 30 days of marching in the desert, all of a sudden the problems begin to rise. This issue of control was just underneath the surface and 30 days into it, and now it rears its ugly head. It shouldn't surprise us, that idea of 30 days, there's something significant to us. Think about us when it came to quarantine. The first two weeks of quarantine were amazing, wasn't it? Oh, no schedule, everything's relaxed. We get to spend time with the family. There's all these Netflix shows I want to binge, and everything is great. But then about three weeks, getting close to that 30 days, all of a sudden the glamour of quarantine begins to fade. Our family, who we love dearly, is now driving us nuts we're running out of combinations of sweatpants and something else for the day. All of a sudden, we're longing, right, to go back to what we had. We just want some order, some control to come back into our lives. Even in the context of our country, can't, can't you feel it? As the days goes on, the tension begins to rise. And this loss of control issue becomes greater and greater. So again, this is what's happening with the nation of Israel. 30 days into it, verse a four out of chapter 16 says this, and the Lord said to Moses, tells him how I'm gonna care for him. Look, I'm, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. Here's the way he does this. He says, I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. 
the test that we're gonna see here is a test of faith. It's a test of control, who they will trust for these. Now, this is challenging for the nation of Israel. These are agricultural people by nature. And they understand that this idea that you would just collect for that day what you need for that day. Listen, you don't get enough crops just for today, what you need for tomorrow, because at some point the crops aren't going to hold out. At some point there'll be a drought and you'll be wanting. So this idea that you would just take what you needed for today went totally contrary to what they were thinking. Also think for over 400 years, they've been in slavery. They, they've been in a mindset of scarcity. And now you're gonna tell me, God, you're gonna provide more food than what I would need. And you're asking me not to take that for myself and to keep it for my family. You're saying, just take what I need just for today and trust you for tomorrow. Again, these things are running so counter to their nature as we go. Question is again, will I trust God for tomorrow. Again, as I'm thinking about this this week and preparing for it, I just kept going back and over like 2.4 million people. Every single day you had to feed 2.4 million people. What a staggering thing. So we know the Lord's gonna provide for them quail and, and manna. That's a lot of quail. Now, if you're a non-hunter like me, let me just give you, uh, this is what I read. Uh, quail, they're related a little bit to pheasants, a smaller version. They're, they're fat birds. You'll see them here on the screen. They're fat little birds with short little wings. And so they can't fly very far without getting tired. Uh, so they spend a lot of time near the ground. They actually are caught, Egyptian literature tells, they're caught by nets while being close to the ground. And so these are the quail that are there. An interesting thing about these birds... <coughs> is in the winter that they would migrate south to the plains of Africa, and then in the months of March through April, they would fly back north. Right along this time, they fly through the Sinai Peninsula. That is the exact time we're running into the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 16. So we see in verse 13, that evening, vast number of quail flew in and covered the camp. And the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew. When the dew evaporated, flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it, they asked each other. They had no idea what it was, and Moses told them, it is the food the Lord has given you to eat. And I love that. The Hebrew word for manna is simply, what is it? I mean, it's kind of like the mystery meat my mother-in-law puts in her casserole. You kind of take one bite, you're like, what is it? And uh, I quickly realized it was venison over a period of time. But the Bible describes this as this flaky, flaky substance that tastes like a wafer with a little bit of honey on it is the way I describe man. It would be the perfect communion chips as we go. Then Moses told them, do not keep any of it until morning. But some of them didn't listen and they kept some of it until morning. But by then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. And Moses was very angry with them. Now listen, it, it feels like an easy enough commandment, right? Just take what you need for today and I'll provide for tomorrow. Just trust me, I'll take care of you. But you know that's so hard to do because the more that we feel insecure, the more we're unsure of the future, we tend to want to control things even tighter. And that's what the nation of Israel is falling about. Here's a big thought for you today. And this is why control is so important to us. It really comes back to an issue of joy and it's this. Control is the stealer of today's joy because it fears for tomorrow. And it's true. Some of you can relate to this. This is one of the challenges in your life, this area of control. And what control does for me is it steals today's joy. Why? Because you're never living in this moment. You're already projecting what tomorrow will be and how you can correct a problem or anticipate something that has yet to happen. And what you're missing is the joy of the moment and God's provision. So rather than enjoy the manna, 
Some of them were like, hey, we're gonna store this up for tomorrow. What they're really saying is this. God, I can't fully trust what I'm experiencing now will continue. God, I can trust that in these moments, it seems like it's gonna be okay, but I, I'm fearful in the days and the weeks to come, you're not gonna show up in the same way. And here was the challenge. They were thinking like Egyptians. They were thinking like their captivity for the years. And one of the big themes has been, again, the challenge for the nation of Israel was not getting them out of Egypt. The challenge was getting Egypt out of them. And this is once again where we see that, that way of thinking rising up in their hearts. And as you read the story, what's so heartbreaking is that an entire generation struggles to get Egypt out of their heart. For 40 years, God graciously and patiently allows them to wander that they might learn the lessons, that they might learn to trust his heart. And an entire generation couldn't get the thinking of Egypt out of their lives. And you know, in times like this of, of a pandemic, the, the same question is for us that was for the nation of Israel. The, the same question for us is simply this, who do you trust to be in control of our lives? Who do you trust to be in tr control of our country, of our children, of our family, of our jobs, of our future? Can I really trust God's provision for tomorrow? I wanna give you this morning just five ways. I think five, I just had this, five reasons to give God control of your life. And, and I wanna share these with you because I want us to learn the lessons that a generation of Israelites didn't learn. I want us to learn the lessons today so we don't waste 40 years of our lives wandering. <laughs> I, I wanna learn these lessons that we don't lose the joy of this moment, the joy of today trying to control the outcomes of tomorrow. So let me give you these five here this morning. Number one is simply this, that God is trustworthy. That God is trustworthy. And I wanted to teach this principle, this whole series out of the Old Testament. Because the idea that God allows a new normal to come into our life isn't something that's just new to us in 2020. We see it all throughout scripture. And yet all throughout scripture and all of these times, we see over and over that God is trustworthy. His promises that he made to the nation of Israel, we have the joy of being able to see those fulfilled. Listen, the nation of Israel is going to reach the promised land. The nation of Israel will become a nation. The nation of Israel will stay God's chosen people all throughout eternity. Why? Because God is trustworthy with the things that he has said. And the great news is for you and I is that you can have that kind of trust in God. That he is, as we sing so often, he is a good, good father. And that you can trust his father's heart. Number two is this, that God is ever present. That the children of Israel, from the moment they left Egypt, experienced the presence of God. The Bible says a cloud led them through a day and a pillar of fire led them through the nights. That at every moment, since the moment they left, that the presence of God never left their side. The beauty is for you and I, if we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit dwells within us that the presence of God never leaves us and will never forsake us. So at the moments of time that you feel abandoned, that you feel isolated, that you feel forgotten, can I be reminded that God is ever present, that you can cry out to him with your needs and your wants, and he hears you. The third one, and I love this one, the reason I, even at times like this, can have confidence and give God control of my life is the third one is this, because God is not surprised. We know two characteristics of God, that God is sovereign, and because God is sovereign, he must also be omniscient, or the idea that he is all-knowing. 
Because God is sovereign, he knew exactly the time when the nation of Israel would be leaving the land of Egypt, coordinated exactly with the time of the migration of the quail that these two intersected at Exodus chapter 16. Why? Because God is never surprised with the things that come. That God knows your need and how to meet your need even before you're experiencing that need. Let me give that to you again because it's the truth for today that God knows your needs and God knows how to meet that needs even before you are experiencing that need. That God is never surprised. Hmm. Friends, what I'm reminded even today is that COVID-19 didn't surprise God. That the tragedy and the heartbreak that we're experiencing in our country, even the things that Tyrone shared with us a little bit earlier, these didn't surprise God. They break the heart of God. This is not what God wants for his children and for his people, but they don't surprise him. These are the consequences of living in a fallen world. But even in these moments, I'm reminded again, the hope comes from, the answer to the problem is found in him. And why can we find that hope in God? Because he is sovereign and because he is omniscient that he knows and cares and sees. And that leads us to the fourth one, which is so key, is that God is consistent you see, the gods of, of Egypt that they're leaving, these, these were vengeful gods. These were gods that you gave sacrifices and hoping to just appease them. In fact, one of the top 10 gods of all of Egypt was Horus, and he was the god of vengeance. So you worship these gods, never knowing if you could make them happy. You never knew what the gods are gonna respond. And so you lived in fear, always wondering. The consistency of Yahweh, the consistency of the God of Abraham And Isaac and Jacob is found not only in his character and for the nation of Israel, it was found in God's covenant with them. The consistency was this. Obey God, experience blessing. Disobey God and God out of his love for you will discipline you. But this discipline will not come in the form of vengeance. It's gonna come as a father disciplines his child. There is a consistency there that you can count on. That our relationship with our heavenly father, can I just encourage you today, friends, listen, it can be lived out and experienced. And in our daily obedience, we experience the consistency of the blessing of God in our lives. And it leads us to the fifth one. The big thought for today is this, that God is in control. That God is in control. Now listen, the best way for God to remind you that he is in control is to allow you to experience a situation in which you are no longer in control, right? So many times we have a little bit of control and if we can handle it, we just, we just power up and get through it and we ask God to kind of just be on the side if we really need him. But God says, listen, for the nation of Israel, I'm gonna remind you that I am in control by placing you in a situation where you have absolutely no control. I'm gonna take 2.4 million people and put them in the middle of the desert where they have nothing but me to rely on. Deuteronomy chapter eight Verses three and four say it this way. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and to your ancestors. He did it to teach you, this is why, that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. For all these 40 years, your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not blister or swell. And I love about who God is, that God is in control and that he's in control of the smallest and the most intimate details in our lives. 
He says this, listen, in 40 years, your clothes are not going to wear out. Now, this is amazing to me. Like during this pandemic, I don't know what's happening, but my clothes keep getting shrunk in the dryer. Tammy's clothes seem to be just fine, but mine are shrinking every time I get them out of the dryer. Guys, listen, your clothes aren't going to wear out. In fact, they're not even going to shrink, which is a miracle in and of itself. And then he says this next part. He says, listen, your feet will not swell and they will not blister. That God supernaturally is going to take care of the smallest details of your life. Your clothes, your feet, that I'm going to divinely protect you along these things, that God is in control of every detail. He says to him, because this this is every morning, I, I just need you to wake up and I just need you to walk out and be reminded that God is enough for you for that day. I, I need you to walk out and be thankful that God has provided enough food for you to sustain you and that family for the next day. I need you to be reminded that, listen, if you'll just walk in obedience, I'm gonna show you the direction. I'm gonna show you the pace that you need for that day. Just follow the cloud in obedience and I will lead. To the nation of Israel, you don't need to make bricks anymore. You just need to rest in the truth of who I am. And that's such a powerful truth, isn't it? Even for uh, us today, this reminder that we don't have to make bricks in order for God to love us anymore. Your ability to produce and get things done isn't what earns God's favor and God's love. God loves you exactly for who you are. There's so much pressure that comes off. You don't have to be the perfect parent. You don't have to be a flawless friend. You don't have to be the pastor who has all the right answers and can preach just the right sermon on the right week. Listen, you can just rest and trust in the provision of God that he's got this, that he is enough, that I can wake up every morning and just acknowledge this, my dependence on him, knowing that God will give me enough what I need for today and tomorrow he'll show up to give me enough what I need for tomorrow and I can trust in that truth that experiencing in that I can experience the joy of this moment rather than feeling like I've got to control the future and miss out on the goodness of God. I love what Psalms 46.10 says. It simply says this, cease striving and know that I am God. Cease striving. Let God be God in this new normal in your life. And you will find his provision and his care and his love in a new and a fresh way. But all of that comes out of a relationship with Jesus. You may be saying today as you're listening, Pastor, I I don't have that kind of hope in my life. I've been trying to control it. I'm so wore out. I'm so discouraged. I've lost a little sense of, is there any hope for me? Can I just remind you today about God's amazing love for you? That God wants you to experience that kind of peace and joy in your life. And the Bible says you can have that through a personal relationship with him. But to have that kind of relationship with the Lord, the Bible says we just need to confess our need for the Lord. And so as we close this morning, I wanna just ask if you would just bow your heads wherever you're at as you're watching. And this morning, if that's you, if you wanna have that kind of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and experience his joy and his peace in your life, I invite you to just pray this prayer with me. It's, It's not a magical prayer. It's not the words that save you but it's the attitude of your heart that acknowledges, God, I wanna give up control of my life to you. Just pray these words to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize that I've been trying to control my own life. So Father, today I wanna give up that control to you. I wanna ask for your forgiveness. I thank you that you love me. 
so much that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross that I might experience forgiveness of my sins, that I might experience the free gift of eternal life. And so Father, today, I'm placing my trust in you alone for the forgiveness of my sins and for the free gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer with me this morning for the very first time, I'm so excited for that decision. Listen, this is how you're going to experience a new level of joy and excitement in your life like never before. At the end of our service, we wanna tell you some ways that we can help connect with you and help you to grow in your faith. But you know, for many of us, we've done that. We've placed our faith in Jesus Christ at one time, but over a period of time, if we're not careful, we've seized back control of our lives, asking God to bless what we're already doing. Can I just remind you again, the power of Psalms, that this week, just cease striving, quit trying to make bricks, and know that he is God. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll look forward to connecting with you next week as we continue in our series, The New Normal. Thank you so much for joining us today at LexCity.tv. Hey, if you prayed that prayer today with Pastor Brian, congratulations. We are thrilled. We would love for you to go to LexCity.info, click I Prayed. We would love to connect with you and get you some more information about following Jesus. Make sure to follow us on social media at LexCity Church. You can also click on sermons at the top of LexCity.tv and watch more content now. We love you and thank you for watching LexCity.tv.